It has been said that if someone makes you angry, you should count to 10. That would give you ample time to formulate the perfect insult. <laughs> which, of course, is an example of sinful anger, which is the topic of this morning's message, Overcoming Sinful Anger. It's actually part two, so we're digging in again uh, to finish up. Not everyone was here last week, so let me review the, the basics of what we covered last week. We noted last week that anger is a response, that it, as, as often as we think it may be someone else's fault, it really comes from within. It comes from our own hearts. We noted that not all anger is bad, that it is possible to be angry and not sin, which is what we're told to commanded to do in Ephesians chapter 4. Also, that it is possible to be righteously angry. It's possible to have a holy anger or a moral anger um, when we are angry about those things that make God angry. But we also confess that that sort of holy anger and righteous indignation is the exception, not the norm. Rarely is the issue that has us becoming angry about God or the kingdom of God. Most often, if we're truthful, it's about us. Specifically, it's about our frustration or disappointment and not getting what we want, when we want, how we want. Our anger becomes sinful when it leads to thoughts and words and deeds that are contrary to God's revealed will for us. And when it does this, it becomes a problem and we noted three reasons why sinful anger is problematic. The first is this, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we let anger rule in our lives, we effectively shut out the work of God in our lives. We close ourselves off to what God is graciously trying to teach us about himself or about us. And a prime example of that is the prophet Jonah, who closed his heart to God's goodness and remained angry. But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God if you have any desire whatsoever in your life to do something of eternal significance for God. You won't be doing that if you are an angry soul. Secondly, we noted that sinful anger harms people God loves. Those who give full vent to their anger often damage those to whom their anger is directed or those who have to witness it. Those who suppress their anger might be prone to a season or even a life of bitterness and resentment and sorrow. It's a problem when the emotion that God gives us as a sign to attack a problem is turned outward into an attack on others or inward becoming an assault on ourselves. Third, we said that sinful anger is problematic because it's enslaving. The Bible teaches that the one who practices sin is slave to sin. When we allow anger to control us, to fuel our attitudes and our actions, then we're really not under the control of the Spirit of God. And that's a problem because as children of God, we are slaves to God. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are to be owned and mastered by no one and no thing other than our God. This morning we're going to take a look at one more reason, a fourth reason that anger, sinful anger is a problem, and then hopefully we're just going to take a few minutes to look at some practical ways that we can overcome it. But first, let's pray. Lord, we are dependent upon you for all things. Jesus, without you, we can do nothing. 
We pray in these moments to be remaining in you, abiding in you, attentive to your voice. We fix our eyes upon you. You have not only been the originator of our faith, you are its perfecter. And Lord, we are in need of perfection. Help us to hear you. Help us to be courageous enough to listen to what you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, speak, we pray, and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So a fourth reason we can know that sinful anger is a problem, and probably the most simple, and hopefully even the most compelling for you Christians, is this. The Bible says so. Right? Uh, now, I, I don't know about you, but I never really liked hearing something like that when I was a kid, when I would ask a question, and sometimes you get that answer. Because I said so. Right? Deeply dissatisfying as a child. But as a child of God, if the Bible says so, that's a different story, right? I sit under this word, you sit under this word. What the Bible says is what goes. And the Bible has a lot to say about why sinful anger is a problem. We have all kinds of Old Testament references, all kinds of New Testament passages. We are told to avoid sinful anger. We're told to put it off. We're told to control our anger. Uh, we are told to be slow to come to anger. And we have all kinds of examples in the scripture of people who let their anger get the best of them. And guess what? When they let their anger get the best of them, they were not able to give their best to God. And I bet that same thing is true of you. If you let your anger get the best of you, you will not be able to give your best to God. And you're here in this world to give your best to God, to honor and glorify him with your life. That's your purpose. So let's take a few minutes this morning to sample some of God's wisdom. Um, when it comes to anger, if you have a Bible with you, you could turn to Psalm 37. And then I'm going to flip through some scriptures fairly quickly, but Psalm 37 in the context of this psalm, there's a godly person. He's suffering some sort of injustice at the hands of the ungodly. And probably you've had that experience in life, have you not? Where you have suffered some sort of un, unjust, injustice when you are slighted, when you are persecuted, when you see the, righteous, uh, the unrighteous prospering, when you see people doing bad things and getting away with it. Um, people who don't seem to deserve the upper hand have it anyway. That sort of stuff makes us angry. We can become angry when we see that. And you know what God says? He says, don't. Psalm 37, verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Refrain just means to cease, stop. Don't do it anymore. And forsake it. Forsake anger, which means to relinquish it. If you've got it, let it go. Let go of it. Let it go. Anybody ever tell you that when you get angry? Anybody ever look at you and say, why can't you just let it go? Well, dear, because I'm a little obsessive. But <laughs> let it go is, is irritating advice, actually, isn't it? Because you want to express yourself and someone sort of seems to be dis dismissing you. It's sort of like the same thing when you're angry. Has this ever happened to you when you're angry and someone just says, just relax? But that makes my head want to blow right off my shoulders. Just relax. <laughs> Same thing with let it go. If you think, well, you're just sort of dismissing it. But you know what? Actually, as irritating as that advice might be, it's kind of biblical. It is biblical. Because that's what Psalm 37 verse 8 says. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Let it go. Don't hang on to it. Don't feed it. 
Don't nurture it. Don't nurse it. Let it go. That's what the Bible teaches. Proverbs 14, 29 also teaches that we should not be quick to anger. Some of us are guilty of having a, a short fuse, we would say. But Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has hasty temper, a hasty temper exalts falling. If you are slow, if you have a long fuse, you're slow to anger, you have great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts falling. I like to think that the older we get, the longer the fuse gets. Amen? We've kind of come to understand that there have been some times, maybe early in our lives, when we exploded, where we said or did things that we should not have said or done. And we are starting to learn that if I'm slower to this fight, there might not be a fight at all. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. There's a New Testament echo of this in James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, James writes, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's easy to get those things transposed, isn't it? But be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We're very often quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to be angry. The Bible teaches us not to be. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says this, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Anger lodges in the hearts of fools. I read that and I think of like getting something stuck in your craw, you know. It's lodged there and you can't move it out. Anger takes, takes root in the hearts of fools. Now, God can call you a fool. I should not. But God can, and God's word does say this, that we are foolish if we let anger set up housekeeping in our hearts. If we let that happen, we're foolish, the Bible says. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And a similar in Colossians 3, 7, and 8. Um, you too once walked in these things, Paul says, sexual immorality, impurity, inordinate affection, idolatry, when you were living in them, before, you, before Jesus. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Both Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, Paul's making basically the same argument. Look, we understand you used to be a certain way. You didn't know Jesus, and you worked and lived according to the principles of the world. But now that you know Jesus, now that you have come to know him, now that he is your Savior, there has to be a difference in the way that you live. You're not going to image the eternal Son of God if there's no change in you, but you're going to bring him lots of glory if people look at you and they see the change and they say, how the heck did that happen? You're not the guy you used to be. You're not the girl you used to be. Don't you want to hear something like that? Man, years ago, you never would have. Praise the Lord. He's got a hold of me, and I'm changing by his grace and by his mercy. There has to be a difference, right? If you're, if you're one who's prone to anger, if you have that hair-trigger temperament, that's not how you learned Christ, Paul says. That's not how Jesus is. That's not who Jesus is. You read through the scripture, and you don't see that in Jesus. And what are we doing as Christians but trying to become by his mercy and grace, more and more like Jesus. So if I have that hair trigger temper, I, I, 
It has to go away. It belongs to an old way of life, not the new way. I'm a new creation, and I'm supposed to be living into that new creation. Being angry all the time is certainly not befitting a Christian, and it has to be put off. So sinful anger, that's just a sample, but sinful anger is a problem because the Bible says so. And that makes us all without excuse, right? Doesn't it? I think you'd agree with that. Well, we can't just come out from under this and say, hey, listen, Pastor, the reason I, I fly off the handle is because I just always have. That's just the way I am. That's just the way, you know, I'm made. I understand you may have a disposition or a bent to it. But the whole point of the gospel is that you can change. Isn't that what Jesus said? You must be what? Born again. You must be born again. You must be born anew of the Spirit. This is a spiritual change that God can bring to pass in you and is more than happy to do it. You just have to be looking for it, wanting for it, asking for it. Sinful anger is a problem. The Bible says so. It has to be put away. But the question is, how do we do this? How do we set aside, put aside our sinful anger? Well, the first is this. You need to recognize your anger. You need to recognize, acknowledge, uh, admit your sinful anger. It is truly possible to be an angry person and not know it. It is possible to be an angry person and not know it. It's easy to see the speck in someone else's eye, isn't it? It's easy to see the faults, the character flaws in everybody else. We can see the speck in somebody else's eye, but it's not so easy to see the two-by-four that's sticking out of ours because it's like a two-by-four in the way, right? It's easy to see the faults in others, but we're not very good at seeing the faults in ourselves, including being an angry person. Author and counselor Ed Welch notes from his experience that angry people are often unaware, and he writes this. This is frightening. Angry people are the last ones to know that they're angry. They are blind, as are all those who hate. What angry people are sure of is that the problem lies in the object of their anger, not themselves. Does that sound familiar? The reason I'm mad is because you're so stupid. <laughs> That's what that means. The general rule for angry people is that the more extreme the anger, the more confident they are of their rightness, and the more unaware they are of both their anger's sinful roots and destructive disposition. This makes repentance and change a rare event. If you don't even see your own anger and you are persuaded that you are right, how can you turn from it? Why would you turn from it? So listen, you may not be aware that you are an angry person, but you know what? Everybody around you knows you might not know that, but everybody around you knows. All the people close to you know. So you got to admit it. You got to recognize it. You got to call it what it is. A second helpful step to overcoming your sinful anger is to record it. And I'm not suggesting that you make a literal recording when you're having a tantrum. Although I do think that if you actually did that, it might be so embarrassing that you might stop. <laughs> so you may be like, is that what I sound like? Yes, hun, that's what you sound like. Well, that's embarrassing. And it probably is. I, maybe, maybe you should try that. I don't know. But I, what I'm talking about is recording it as in writing it down. What I'm talking about is keeping a record of your angry 
outbursts. When, for instance, are you most likely to get angry? Or where are you most likely to get angry? About what are you most likely to get angry? Answering questions like these are going to help you better understand the pattern and also, hopefully, why it is that you get so mad. Sometimes when I'm counseling people who are trying to overcome their sinful anger, I use a tool called an anger journal. And that's just a simple little uh, piece of paper to keep track of the incidence of anger over a week or over two weeks. So, so we can notice those patterns, so we can come in and we can isolate some of these variables and we can talk about the dynamics. By the way, I have copies of this basic anger journal exercise down there. I, I made 10 of each. I don't expect you to flock to the front and reveal your anger problems <laughs> right now, but later. Just linger until everybody's gone. <laughs> That's what it feels like, right? Pastor, why do you put it in the front? Put it in the back! <laughs> Listen. You can grab that stuff with no judgment. Because if you recognize that you have an anger problem and you want to do something about it, we are here for you. Praise the Lord that you want to overcome this. You do know that this is not a church full of perfect people, right? You do understand that United Baptist is just a church full of people who love Jesus, who want to follow him, but who struggle sometimes in, in holding up our end of the bargain. So this is the place where you're supposed to be vulnerable. This is the place where you're supposed to confess it. This is a place where you're supposed to find healing. And, and so stuff like that, brothers and sisters, that's for you. Take it. Take advantage of it. If that makes you uncomfortable, call me. Email me. If, if you want to deal with issues of anger, I'd love to help you with those things. You might be surprised. I think it's important to share this. Something that happens frequently in my experience when people are filling in an anger journal and I just read something the other day that said roughly 50% of the cases that Christian counselors deal with are going to involve some level of, of uh, confronting sinful anger. So uh, over half have something to do with sinful anger, right? But here's something that I found is that if you actually use a little anger journal like that, if you just keep track of it, you keep track of it on your phone, you don't need to grab a piece of paper or anything, but guess what happens? The incidence of anger begin naturally to subside. So there's a principle, I think it's called the Hathorne principle, that what gets measured improves, what gets observed improves. What you're paying attention to tends to get better. And sometimes it's just a simple fact of you recognizing, I'm going to try to pay attention. I'm not just going to assume that I'm an angry person. I'm not just going to shrug my shoulders every time I have a bit of an outburst. I'm actually going to pay attention. When do I do this? Where do I do this? And who's around when these things happen? And the thing that happens is because you become more aware of it, at some point you actually start making a choice. Especially if you think, golly, I've got to bring this paper in and confess to the pastor all the times that I've blown my top in the last two weeks. I don't even want to talk about that. You know what? I'd rather not get angry. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. We get angry because it meets us some sort, of, some sort of need. But a different need can offset that need. And we say, now I have a better need. What's that? I don't want to look like a lunatic in front of the pastor. Okay, well, we're, we're making progress, but we still want to get to the heart of your anger. 
The good news is this. If you are an angry person, you don't have to be. God's grace is greater. And, and, and it will be manifest in you. The fruit of the Spirit can be manifest in you. A third step in overcoming sinful anger, and we find this in Psalm 4, verse 4. Psalm 4, verse 4 is actually sort of the home verse of, of one of the Ephesians 4 verses that we read last week. It says this, be angry and do not sin. That's the part that should sound familiar. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. So what this verse teaches us to do is to spend some time reflecting on your anger. Spend some time reflecting on your anger. <laughs> some of you were like, that's the problem. I'm thinking too much about it. No, you're just actually thinking about how angry you are. I'm asking you to think about why you're angry. You stay up at night seething, I get it, replaying the, the injustices and the disappointments. But this is different. What this, what this scripture teaches us to do, to be angry and not sin, is to reflect. Try to understand what is going on with you right now. What is going on in the moment? Examine yourself. What is it, you might ask, that I want so much? What is it that I love? What is it that I, I believe I need right now? that has me so upset? Is it the right want? Is it the right love? Does it have anything at all to do with God and the kingdom of God? Is this about the kingdom of God, friend, or is it about the kingdom of me? Most times I'm angry. I'm upset that the kingdom of me is not going the way King Scott thinks it should. Anybody else have that problem? Nope, just me. Okay. <laughs> Ponder. Ponder, the psalmist says. Wait. This notion of pondering implies not reacting. And we, we have said and acknowledged anger is a response. So since we're not supposed to be quick to it, we must learn to lengthen our response times. Don't, we must learn to lengthen our response time. We have to discipline ourselves to put some distance between the thing that has us upset and the way that we're going to react to it. And what the Bible's telling us here is just slow down, wait. Count to three, count to ten, count to ten thousand. Sit for a while, though. Sit for a while with unfairness. Sit for a while with injustice. Sit with your disappointment. Sit with your frustration. Don't say anything to anyone about it. Or resist that temptation to just let it all come out to vent all over somebody. Don't do anything until you have thought it through. Think it through. That's... That's kind of a lost discipline, don't you think, in a speedy culture like ours where quick responses are more the norm and actually the expectation. And in all things, I'm not, not just anger. Like I, sometimes I'll send a text and somebody won't get back to me, and then when they do get back to me, they say, I'm sorry it took so long. And I'm like, I, I don't have an expectation that you're sitting on the other end of your phone just waiting for a text from me. 
But the expectation is you, you got to be on it, right? You got to be on it. You got to be proficient. Well, you got to be quick. Well, sometimes you lose a lot in that quickness. The Bible here is really kind of just saying slow down. Slow down and think it through. You know, years ago, if someone offended you, if you were really upset, the advice would have gone something like this. Well, what you do is sit down and write that person a letter and let them know what's on your mind. But don't send the letter. And then it became type the email. Anybody ever tell you that? Somebody sends you a, a tough email and you want to respond. And say, yes, type the email. Go ahead and respond. But don't send it. In other words, the advice is get it out, right? Work it out. And here's the principle. If you work it out of, uh, uh, in your mind, you might actually work it out of yourself. Do you ever have that, that experience where something in the moment was incendiary? It drove you crazy. It made you so angry. But then you didn't do anything with it. And the longer time passed, the less angry you became. In fact, at some point, you might have said, I don't think this is worth getting so upset about. Or you might have said, that's not really that big of a deal. Or you might have said, well, you know what? Now that I've thought about it, I kind of understand where she's coming from. I think he has a point. Slow down. Today, I think the counsel would be, do not send that text as soon as someone sends an offensive text to you. Or do not reply immediately, if at all, to, to that frustrating email or that irritating post, whatever it is. Ask yourself, will the purposes of God be fulfilled if you reply right now? Will the purposes of God be fulfilled if I reply right now with what's in my mind? Thank God we have discretion, right? We do not have to say or write or type everything that comes through our brain. We can submit it to the Lord. So work out what you're upset about, the psalmist says, and, and further, in the safety and the silence of your home, in your own heart, on your own bed. You do this work. That's what the Bible's saying. In the silence and the safety of your home, in your own heart, on your own bed. The King James Version says, commune with your own heart. Commune with your own heart. Get in touch with that thing. What's going on there? Lord, help me. And we do need the Lord's help for that, don't we? We absolutely do. Meditate. Plumb the depths. Randy Patton is a biblical counselor. He asks his counselees who struggle with sinful anger to ask and answer two questions. They are these. Why has the sovereign God of the universe let this come into my life right now? Think about that, Christian. Nothing's happening, right? It's, it's outside of God's will or ability to allow. So why has the sovereign God of the universe let this come into my life right now? And secondly, what does God want to change about me to make me more like Christ? I find that when I'm angry, I'm usually focused on the object of my anger more than I am on what God may be trying to do in me. My first thought is how we can renovate the person who's the problem. Often, the problem is here. That's just the way it is. What does God want to change about me to make me more like Jesus? So, recognize your anger, record your anger, Reflect on your anger, and fourth, make a commitment to resolve your anger. Make a commitment to resolve it. It's not okay when it's just hanging out there. It's not okay when you just turn a blind eye to it. It's going to do damage one way or another. 
But the Bible would say, bring your anger to a God-glorifying end. And that may sound like, really? Oh, can you do that? Can you, make, can you bring anger out in such a way that there's a God-glorifying result? You absolutely can. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what this is all about, being at peace with people, resolving the issues that we have with people. God wants us to keep short accounts. That's why he's taught us so much about forgiveness. Amen? We have been forgiven, therefore we must be forgiving people. We are objects of mercy that we do not deserve, therefore we must be merciful people. We are recipients of grace that we have no claim to, therefore we must be gracious people, right? This is how it's supposed to work when we renew our minds about it, when we set our minds to bringing this to a God-glorifying end, when we don't ignore our anger or leave it hanging out there. And the Bible will tell us to do this quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, which doesn't mean that you've got to resolve every conflict in a 12 or 24-hour period. It's just a way of Paul saying you've got to handle this expediently. If you don't handle the anger that's inside of you, it's going to start handling you. That's really what Paul is, is getting at. And now as, as new creations, we have this ability to speak the truth with one another and to have these hard conversations, hard but necessary conversations, in which we can keep the account short. And we keep the account short by asking for or offering grace and mercy, love and forgiveness. The deceit of the old life says it doesn't really matter if you resolve it or not. The deceit of the old life says it's not that big a deal. Everybody's angry. What's one more? The new life says no. Get it resolved. Bring it to a God-glorifying end. If it is your practice to explode in anger, you know that when you do that, you're going to harm others, right? This isn't just about you. When you explode, you're going to harm others. And then, of course, there's somebody who says, yes, I had a fit, but nobody was around, so nobody saw me. There's always somebody around, <laughs> Randy said. It's true, right? To catch you in your worst. <laughs> and beyond that, there's a Heavenly Father, right? And that's right. He sees it all. If it's your practice to explode in anger, you're probably going to harm others. If you tend to, to swallow your anger, you're almost definitely going to harm yourself. You're going to hurt yourself. But if Lou Priolo is right, that anger is an emotion that is given to us by God to destroy something, then you can purposely choose to direct your anger at the problem. So this is the advice. Where, where appropriate, attack problem. What is the problem? Almost instinctively, we attack people instead of problems. In fact, we perceive people as problems. But what does the scripture teach us? It teaches that we aren't wrestling against flesh and blood. It teaches us that there are spiritual forces at work in us and in others all around. So I want to encourage you to think through how your anger can be levied at the problem, at the conflict that has triggered it. This is, after all, how God has handled our greatest problem. Seeing the injustices, seeing the rebellion of humanity, 
seeing the sin that leads us all away from him and rightly condemns us to an eternity separate from him in hell, God sent his only son into the world to live the perfect life that you and I cannot live and die the death that we deserve. And the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was the payment in full for our sin that we are no longer guilty but might be reconciled to God by faith. And the wrath of God, the anger of God, the moral righteous anger of God was satisfied in the death of Christ. And so in this way, Jesus is our example for what to do with the problem that makes us angry. Attack the problem, spare the person. Jesus is not only our example in this, he is the power we need to change some of you I know are probably frustrated at a message like this because you're thinking, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I know you have, and I know it's hard. But understand this, and Jesus says it, apart from me, you can do nothing. Stop trying so doggone hard and open your heart to what God wants to do because the work is his. And we say this in the counseling session, right? The most important person in the room is the Holy Spirit. You can't do this, but he can. And there are deeds of the flesh, and we know what they are. Rage and malice. But there are fruits of the Spirit that he wants to produce in us. Gentleness and self-control. Jesus is our example, and Jesus is the power that we need to change so that we can overcome sinful anger. Beloved, leave it at the cross. Leave it at the cross where it was paid for and live and respond to the people and the circumstances in this world in ways that bring glory to God who changes us, praise God, who changes us to be like 